actions. The extremists hated all non-Muslims, regardless of their origin or motivation. For his part, Frank Gardner has had a lifelong respect for and love of the Islamic world, like so many of us who have worked in Muslim countries. Nothing that he has experienced has changed that. His perspective on al-Qaeda and the threat it poses is a unique one. Not only does he have an authoritative insight into the al-Qaeda phenomenon, he has looked an al-Qaeda team in the face and survived. In understanding what happened to Frank and to Simon Cumbers, and honouring them both accordingly, we can begin to appreciate more about the causes and nature of the threat which people like their attackers present to us. John Simpson, BBC World Affairs Editor, January 2006 1. Hit for six. Getting shot. Do you have time for some supper? called Amanda from the kitchen. I looked at my watch. It was Tuesday the 1st of June 2004, and the car taking me to Heathrow Airport would be here in 20 minutes, but I was packed and ready to go. I'll be right down, I replied, and walked out of our bedroom, unaware that that was the last time I would ever see it. Three days earlier, there had been a bloodthirsty raid by al-Qaeda fanatics in the eastern Saudi town of al-Khobar. A small but well-armed team of terrorists had gone on the rampage, looking for Westerners and non-Muslims to kidnap and kill. First, they found a prominent British expatriate, Michael Hamilton, as he arrived at his office. They shot him dead in his car, then tied his body to their car bumper and dragged it around town for over a mile in some kind of grisly parade of their power. Then, masquerading as government security forces, they marched into the Oasis compound, a large residential complex housing many Westerners, Indians and Filipinos who worked in jobs administrating the country's vast oil industry, meeting no resistance of the poorly defended gatehouse. They worked their way methodically through the buildings, rounding up all those they suspected of being non-Muslims. Having questioned them on their religion, according to the testimony of survivors, the militants coolly slit the throats of the non-believers, al-Qaeda's usual term for non-Muslims. The siege appeared to end in front of local TV cameras with the arrival of Saudi commandos, who landed by helicopter on the roof of one of the buildings. But in fact, the Saudi authorities had done a deal with the terrorists, believing it was the only way to spare massive bloodshed. Fearing that al-Qaeda had several hundred hostages at their mercy, the Saudi authorities allowed three of the four terrorists to escape from the premises. But by the time order was restored in Al-Khobar, 22 people had been killed. The raid came as a shock to most Saudis. Yes, there had been suicide bombings and attacks on Westerners before, but almost none here, in the normally tranquil eastern province of the country. Al-Khobar was a quiet, dull place that existed to serve the oil industry. Its grid-patterned streets were laid out like a small U.S. city, its neon signs advertised Kentucky Fried Chicken and other fast-food outlets. There was no entertainment, and very little for expatriate Westerners to do other than drive across the nearby causeway to freewheeling Bahrain or fantasise about the next annual leave in Bangkok. Saudi Arabia's charismatic ambassador to London at the time, Prince Turki Al-Faisal, had wasted no time in touring the TV news studios to defend his government's record in tackling terrorism. I interviewed him on Monday night for the 10 o'clock news. A former Saudi spymaster, Prince Turkey was unusually open and frank. He took the view that his country had nothing to hide and encouraged British journalists to visit, helping with urgent visa requests. 
I was to go there to report for BBC News together with Simon Cumbers, a freelance Irish cameraman and trusted veteran of countless BBC assignments. That night, Amanda and I sat up talking late into the night. My wife was understandably anxious about my forthcoming trip. Clearly there were people on the loose in Saudi Arabia who hated Westerners with a passion. Do you have to go to Saudi? she asked. I did not. Unlike some other TV networks, the BBC is quite reasonable about asking people to go to difficult places, and I have never personally been told the equivalent of go to Baghdad or pick up your P-45. It had been nearly a year now since I had last been to Riyadh. A great deal had happened there since then, and people in news felt this was the right moment to update viewers on what was going on in this underreported country. Besides, Saudi Arabia was not considered a high-risk category country like Iraq or Afghanistan. I knew of no visiting journalists who had ever...